This is Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. Do you like scary movies? And how do you like to watch your favorites? In the middle of the day with all the blinds open, hands over your eyes? Or do you prefer to lean into the scary and watch them alone at night? Well, however you like them, we are sharing a few of our favorites. Joining us now to discuss is Michael Phillips, film critic at the Chicago Tribune. Hey, Michael, welcome back. Sasha, how are you doing? Doing well. Excited to have this conversation with you. <laughs> I know. I like to watch my, my favorite place to watch a horror movie is what I got. I got BZ on in the background, nice. you know, and, that, and that's just great contrast, you know. <laughs> also here, Matt Carr, theater manager at the Music Box Theater. Welcome, Matt. Hi, Sasha. How are you today? I'm doing well. I'm already spooked. <laughs> so I want to start out by setting, um, I want to start out by setting some parameters. What are the classic signs of a, a good horror film? You first, Michael. Wow. That's, uh, that's as huge a question as the genre is, is huge and expansive. It's, yeah, you know, I, it, it, there's a lot of ways to scare people. And we all kind of know the cliches about how you get people to jump because it's called the jump scare when mm-hmm. people, so you know, when you have that kind of, that kind of stuff that, you know, you, you can have a pretty decent night or day at the movies if, if you got a movie that's just basically working on that mechanical level. But the ones that really stick with me, Sasha, are the ones I, I just, I was just thinking about this, pulling this list together are the ones where you actually, you kind of give a rip about the human beings stuck in whatever nightmare they're stuck in mm-hmm. uh, and and that can be those these can still be like incredibly violent heartless ruthless brutal pictures but they without some sort of human element to kind of to kind of ground them then then you're really just kind of kind of just playing the role of audience sucker for the filmmaker ah. and, uh, you know that's uh, good point that's why yeah i mean that, that's my feeling about it. but i'd love to hear i'd love to hear from the uh you know the music box on this yeah, Matt, what do you think? What Classic signs of a good horror film. For me, the best horror films almost kind of play out like the best uh, you know, music albums. They have an incredible, iconic opening and then an unforgettable finish. You know, you think to like uh, The Thing with the dog running through the snow. You are joining something already in progress. Uh, we have no clue what's going on because... Everyone's talking in a different language. When they bring this dog in, everything goes to hell very quickly. And then it all builds to this fiery conclusion. You remember the beginning and the ending. You think of The Shining. You think of The Alien. Um, Movies that jump right in and then build to something completely iconic. They're my, they're my favorite. Yeah, for sure. Well, let's bring another voice into the conversation. Joining us now is Lior Galil, writer for the Chicago Reader. Welcome to Reset. Thanks for having me. So I hear that you love the 1992 version of Candyman, which is oh, a total classic. <laughs> yeah, and, you know, it has roots in the Chicago Reader. Steve uh, Gear is reporting on, uh, you know, on a break-in. Uh, has roots in the Candyman story. There are people that he wrote about whose names appear in the film. So, you know, emotionally, I'm, yes. I'm connected to the film in that way. But so, it is it is a moving picture. It is uh, it is an arty picture. It is a strange movie. And it's a great kind of portrait of Chicago during the early 90s. What do you think about the 2021 version? It's pretty good. Uh, I, you know, I it's, it's also beautiful. It does have this kind of, uh, there, there's a, 
bleakness that is present in so many contemporary horror films that try to suggest that they're arty and not always accomplishment. I think the new Candyman does kind of pull off a lot of what it throws in, but uh, it, it juggled so many different concepts and kind of threw them together at the end in a, really, in a way that was a little unsatisfying to me. But mm-hmm. the first hour leading up to that are really compelling. So I just learned that one of my favorite classics, which is um, the 1988 movie Child's Play, that it was filmed in Chicago at the Brewster Apartments. I had no idea. (laughs) A lot of horror movies are actually filmed right out of here, right, Michael? Yeah, it's well, it's a terrifying city, as we know. It's a hellhole. I think we've been told that, you know, and we, by, by all the No, it's all not. The, Don't listen to Darren Bailey. All our finest politicians believe it. Uh, no, I agree. I, uh, Challenge Play for me, Sasha, it's really more like, like, a John Hughes movie, but more realistic about childhood trauma. You know, <laughs> that's, how, that's how I see it. But no, I'd, I'd love to hear. I honestly I want to throw it back. To, to, I'd love to hear what, why that stuck with you. Did you see it at just the right age? Or I what think was I saw it? it just at the right age. Something about, you know, Chucky's face, his look. Uh, there, there was a, actually it started to just not be scary anymore. It was just hilarious to me. So then it became comedy and I just, it's just a classic. I, anytime I see it on, I, I stop, I watch it. It's just one of my favorites, but I was shocked as a newer Chicagoan that it was filmed out of here. I had no idea. It was uh, filmed on diversity parkway and pine grove. I'm hearing from my producers, which is pretty cool. It's crazy, and and I mean, it is amazing to watch, look at the '92 Candyman. That, that was uh, exactly right. Both those, it's so great that both those films, whatever you think of the second one, and horror movies really, really rejected the second one, the newer Candyman, because it wasn't mm-hmm. all that, you know, scary. It wasn't going for the kind of scares yeah. that. Uh, and, but the old one does it in a way that's totally unexpected, and just it just does feel like a great piece of kind of grim recent history yeah nightmare on elm street filmed here um lots of movies but i am not here's the thing i'm not one for a lot of blood and gore in my horror films you know i I feel like it's a a cheap way to achieve that horror effect that you're going for what do you think matt as in gore being the uh (laughs) rounding rounding the corner for the for a cheap satisfying horror film yes <laughs> does it have to be so bloody and gory no it doesn't have to be bloody and gory if, if it's bloody and gory it should be earned um but tell me more you can but you can have a, an unbelievable like m- more of like a psychological uh horror film or a or a possession film uh i'm in the last like decade or so i thought james wan's uh the conjuring so good. I remember mm-hmm. watching that in the theater and thinking, like, this is one of the horror films that I'm constantly trying to, like, you go to the movies to get scared, and that one, like, unsettled me when I was watching it for the first time, and I doubt there's a drop of blood in the entire movie. Hmm. Well, good point. Um, Lior, what are some great horror films that you think don't overuse that effect? Not too much blood and gore. Oh, oh, you hit me with a hard one. <laughs> uh, I mean, are there? <laughs> that is the question. Yeah, there, there, there absolutely are. You know, obviously, gore being an expression of, of horror, of, of evil, as it is so frequently used in movies, not just horror. I think it's easy to assume that most horror movies do use gore, but that's 
not the case. I mean, you can trace that back to 1963 when Gore Lewis, a Chicago-based director and producer, introduced gore as a horror concept. Mm-hmm. And, you know, uh, it's gotten worse from there, depending on the director. But uh, yeah, it's not always a bad thing, and not all horror movies uh, use that. And I realize I'm saying this as I struggle to... To, <laughs> to come, come up, up with, with an you know, example. <laughs> to come up with an example, yeah. Uh, I, whatever I'm put on the spot, I'm like, I don't, I don't quite recall that right now Uh, it'll come to you don't worry it'll come to you well what i what i was thinking of i i recently my my kids dragged me out to see barbarian about a month ago anyone see that in the theaters i i i still need to see it no spoilers please oh never mind (laughs) (laughs) let me zip let me zip it up never mind but i was only gonna say i was gonna help use it to help prove my point that it you know i'm not a i'm not huge on horror like i i I'm, I get scared very easily, but I was able to sit through that. A couple of moments I had to cover my eyes, but it wasn't, it wasn't too bad. Um, but I want to I transition into thrillers. Um, can we count thrillers as horror films, too, or is there a difference between the two, Michael? That's a good question. It, it's uh, a movie like Hitchcock's Psycho. You know, is it really a horror film or is it a thriller? You know, and that's entirely up to the, the viewer, I guess. It's... Uh, um, I mean, I tried to look up the definition of the two, and it, it felt like the same thing. <laughs> so I wasn't yeah, really seeing right. much of a difference. People talk about I mean, the one, the other movie that kind of comes up as kind of a debating point on that very issue was The Silence of the Lambs. Um, yeah, and, and you know, a thriller, maybe, probably more than horror. Um, uh, but I'd, I'd point to something like Jordan Peele's Us as really, yeah, not really straight up horror. It's just, it's just a. A, you know, a great supernatural thriller. And I mean, to, to my issue about whether or not the people in it really pop and register in the characters. I mean, you, you can't find a bigger, better lead performance in a recent thriller than Lupita Nyong'o's work exactly. in Us. I mean, I mean, the minute I saw the poster, I thought Oscar. <laughs> and then she, and then she didn't get an, even a nomination, which just made me nuts. Yeah, you bring up such a great point, Michael. Matt, I, I'm interested in hearing your take on this, right? Because we've definitely been he- watching Jordan Peele's rise in, in that horror genre. What are your thoughts on Get Out and Us? What does he get right in those films? What does he get right? I love more than anything in the Jordan Peele movies the way that he will uh, world build. He he. In uh, in us, you have that opening sequence with the little girl, and you have no clue what it's leading to. But when the twist comes at the end, when the reveal comes at you, it's satisfying, and you feel the an, an, an audience wants to feel a little bit of superiority for retaining knowledge that they have been given early on. Whether you're reading a book, if you're watching a movie, when you remember a thing that you were given early on. It's one of the most efficient tactics in storytelling. And Jordan Peele knows what he's doing as a storyteller. Yeah, he sure does. He's coming out with a new claymation horror film called Wendell and Wild, directed by Henry Selick, who's famous for The Nightmare Before Christmas and Coraline. Let's listen to a little bit of that trailer. Wendell and why? <laughs> Lyra, what do you think of the trailer? It's it's exciting. I mean, I love uh, Selleck's style. 
I'm a nightmare before Christmas kid. So, you know, as much as I like to suggest that I'm not given to nostalgia, like I, I will watch anything he does and I'll watch anything Jordan Peele does. So, you know, uh, my, my opinion already feels like it's, it's settled and that I will love this movie. Um, we'll see what I actually think when I watch it. I'm, I'm really excited about it. Yeah. Let's go around the room. Michael, what about you? Well, I love it, and, and I, I, for the same reason, I really, I'm a big fan of Coraline too. And I think horror and and that kind of supernatural scare thing, which which looks to here like it's going to have a nice, and I hope, a really well judged mixture of of fright and comedy. Um, the the more you can kind of push the look of a movie, animated or not, away from realism, I think you can do anything. I mean, you look at a movie like The Babadook, which is not animated, but it's an Australian psychological thriller that some people have called a horror movie and it's about uh you know a, a storybook character a sinister one that comes to life out of the book to haunt yeah. his mother and son and it's it's a fantastic film and just the fact that it, it it achieves its scariest images sort of not in a blunt realistic way but in a sort of a halfway to a storybook way right it's you can get away with anything that way especially when you're as good a filmmaker as jennifer kent was in that and um, so i i'm really psyched about it i hope yeah, you know, Peel's just had great instincts the whole way, and you know he can he can do anything he wants as far as I'm concerned. Well, speaking of the Babadook, let's listen to a snippet. You can't get rid of the Babadook. You can bring me the boy. You can bring me the boy. You can bring me the boy. Oh my goodness. <laughs> It really does a a great job of creating suspense with, you know, sound. It's terrifying, Michael. It's great. Oh my god! <laughs> I mean, you know, sorry, I was I was too frightened to speak. Uh, <laughs> no, it really is, and it's it's um it you know I I you get that in in all all the great horror films where you just have kind of a you know sort of the rhythm changes, and it really is just a matter of when they're going to get you with something, either sound or an image. And I'm just as susceptible to a good jump scare, you know, as anybody. I yeah. still, when I was 15, the end of Carrie in 1976, Brian De Palma's film, yes. you know, with, with the hand coming out of the ground. Ooh. No one had ever seen that before. That's and, too I much mean, for I, me. You could hear the <laughs> screams on the sidewalk if you're waiting for the 930 showing. I'm telling you, it was wild. And I've never seen a top. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Matt. So, for folks who are itching for a spooky movie marathon, we hear that they're in luck because this weekend is the Music Box House of Horrors, where viewers can catch 24 hours worth of horror films. Can you tell us more about the event? Absolutely. It is, without a doubt, no hesitation at all, the single best day of the year at the Music Box. <laughs> it's a 24-hour horror marathon uh, we are partnering up with Shudder. They are helping put this thing together. So if anyone, if you like horror at all, you know Shudder. They're just like a giant streaming uh, service. They have amazing, if you've never heard of it and you like horror, you need to get Shudder today. Uh, but with them partnering up with us, it's going to be bigger and better than ever. Mm -hmm. um, the theater is packed all day and night. Um We've got vendors all over the place. Um, there are hard-to-buy DVDs. There's clothing. There's We have special edition T-shirts and posters on sale just for the event, just that day. Uh, the coolest thing in the entire world is palpable enthusiasm. Mm -hmm. Just a, a room full, a 
of like-minded people, you know, all here in one place at one time for the same thing. And the horror crowds, they're, they're the best. Yeah. They go, they're, they're, they're simultaneously respectful, and yet they also go wild at the right points in these movies. You know, uh, I hear it, that you're also, you partnered with a local brewery this year too, right? To make the, the music Bach of horrors. That is right. Yeah, we partnered up with uh, Corridor Brewery also on uh, Southport, and they just put together this bomb, Bach Lager, uh, that is on tap at Corridor and at the Music Box. They are selling uh, 32-ounce Crowler cans uh, with with a piece of artwork that I did for the event. Um, it's Apparently, yeah. it, it, it's a dream come true for a lot of people involved, and uh, people seem to be really excited by it. it. It's the highest selling item every single night. That's incredible. So before I let the three of you go, I'm very curious. If you had to watch one horror film for the first time again, which would it be and why? Michael, I'm coming to you first. Psycho, probably Hitchcock's Psycho, yeah. and that's you know that's the thriller or sort of hybrid, I guess. But that's a good one. I don't know the impact I had on you know that had on me as a kid was just it just rattled me for good. You know, I'd love to, <laughs> I'd, love, I'd love to experience the the, the unpleasant. Uh, you were finished after that for sure. <laughs> All right, Lear. I think Evil Dead Two um, because it showed me as a teen that there could be so much joy in horror. Which I hadn't really seen prior to that. I, you know, I'd mostly seen like really bad, uh, <laughs> poorly paid horror films on TV that didn't quite leap out to me in the way that this one did. And it is, it is, it is really fun. Yeah. And Matt, I'm going to go with John Carpenter's 1982 film, The Thing. Uh, I've heard some people say that it's not a horror; it's a sci-fi film. I vehemently disagree. Uh, the Thing does so many things right. It has that awesome Ennio Morricone score. It just builds a sense of paranoia uh, right from the get-go, and it keeps building, and it has one of the coolest endings uh, of all time. Matt Carr is theater manager at the Music Box Theater. Be sure to check out Music Box of Horrors this weekend. Lior Galil is writer for the Chicago Reader, and Michael Phillips is a film critic at the Chicago Tribune. Thank you all for joining us.